You're listening to Potluck, the podcast that stirs up a unique flavor of people, culture, and brands in Asia. Hosted, as always, by Scott and Drago. This is our third and final part of our discussion with Jocelyn Tay. It's time for our quickfire round, Brand Burns. <laughs> Flavor of the month is the first one. Um, Justin, can we ask you to name a brand that uh, is or has been on your radar uh, and why it's caught your attention? What uh, can we learn from it? A brand. <clears throat> For any reason. Ideally, if, if it could be a brand that's making a splash right now in Asia or in China or in Hong Kong, that'll be, that'll be great. Um, I think there's quite a few. So um, I pay attention to brands for different reasons. Um, first reason, you know, to, to, for work, obviously. And then another reason is, oh, my God, I wish I, I did that, too. So the second reason, um, I pay attention to stuff like Haiti. Um, you know, this, there are a lot of these um, entrepreneurs in China. They just kind of put themselves out there. And actually, success comes. So this guy um, became a multi-billionaire, um, and Haiti was uh, listed in New York um, at a very young age for this guy. So I appreciate that. Um, and, you know, through experiment and, uh, you know, because th things are done um, simultaneously. So building the brand and experimenting things at the same time. Um, and uh, he's done that very well. And there are a lot of um, other kind of tea houses that have done the same, which I, I admire a lot. I wish, you know, I don't even remember what I was doing when I was 25, um, probably just looking at data at my desk, right? So I wish, you know, if I had to go back in time, I wish I could do something um, more exciting like these guys and, you know, be remembered by a brand that is uh, uh, successfully built. Um, for work-wise, so I mentioned um, Perfect Diary. Um, there's so much to learn from this company because they started with a really different business model. <clears throat> and um, they've built their success around that. And and to some extent, you know, although I was raised in Canada, I've been around the world, I've been kind of all over the place, but then I still, you know, in my heart, I still have this little tiny, tiny sense of uh, Chinese pride. And so this company being um, so successful as a local Chinese uh, beauty and skincare company. I admire them a lot. And um, you don't always see a lot of local Chinese brands giving that amount of attention on brand building and um, connecting with millennials and Gen Zs at the same time. So they've done really well um, in terms of delivering a consistent tone of voice and a brand stance while navigating this kind of potpourri of, of really whimsical stuff in the market. And it's interesting when you look at Perfect Diaries, kind of uh, the way they talk about themselves, they talk about this idea of like unlimited beauty um, and this idea of beauty not being kind of bound by, you know, by, by labels and, um, you know, by everyone sort of embracing their uniqueness, which is actually a very, uh, I mean, you, at face value, you kind of think that's almost a sort of Western, like Nike-esque concept in mm -hmm. terms of the way they're um, approaching that, which is, which is in itself is interesting being born out of China. It is. It is. I think a lot of brands or people are still trying to learn from success, success in, in other countries and at the same time merging that into um, what's happening um, in the lives of Chinese consumers, kind of like a hybrid approach. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, let's go on to the second question, Jocelyn, the brand bullshit. <laughs> so what, what do you think is overhyped or maybe getting in the way of effective work in the world of brand and marketing? <laughs> Many. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so we talked a lot about brand collaboration. Actually, you know, to, to dig that deeper a little bit, um, it's actually called IPs in, in, in China. So it's not necessarily just between consumer brands, but also just a legal entity, basically. Um, so mm -hmm. a, a lot of bullshit I've seen uh, in that area. Um, for example, um, I have a cartoon character, a cartoon character for adults that's um, used to sell infant milk formula. I've used um, Forbidden City to try and sell toilets um, those for me are completely hold on, hold on. BS. I don't know. I don't know why I need to be, um, you know, feeling the love for China as I'm on the toilet. So for for me, that completely doesn't make sense. Um, another thing that I think is overrated and overhyped. Um, I think a lot of my friends would hate me for saying this, but I I am not huge on creative awards anymore um, because. In our industry, a lot of people know this, but the work's not real. And for me, um, what deserves an award is if creativity drives effectiveness at the same time. I think we touched on this at the beginning of our conversation. Um, so without that, um, if creativity does not drive or make any impact on business or any kind of results, then that's bullshit to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but to take that point a step further, so what what role do you think these awards do play? Because obviously they are very prominent. There's there's several awards bodies now. Everything from the FEs to Tangrams to you know the the media related you know campaign etc. So do, do you think it's a kind of a necessary step for driving if you like the craft for for say a younger planner or or even creatives for that matter? Or do you see it as maybe counterproductive? Like is, I mean, I'm I'm assuming there's pros and cons, or do you see more more cons? Than pros, it's easy for you to say no well, more awards, considering you have all these <laughs> all these awards now. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's such a good way to make money, right? I, I once wanted to invent my own award, <laughs> and yeah. I think you know everything comes with pros and cons. Obviously, despite you know the negativity in the in in my voice when I talk about awards, I also do uh, get a lot of awards because I'm tasked to. So to your question, um, the value of that, A, it's reputation. To um, individuals, to some, it might be ego. Um, it's, a, it's a recognition of their uh, skills. Um, but overall, in an agency, we're always tasked to getting awards um, because it's the easiest tangible represent, representation to our clients about the quality of our work. Um, so it does have its value. And then um, on a smaller scale, um, it's always good to leave behind case studies for younger generations to learn um, what makes good work and how people judge good work in our industry. Um, and then on an even smaller scale, it's actually a really good writing exercise for me and my team because there's a lot of thinking that goes in, in behind one page of written um, content into an award entry. Um, it's a really good exercise to help my team, especially younger people on my team, to think about post-rationalize or, or reverse engineer the, 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 the business challenge 
and then the the insights and then therefore the creativity that would help address the challenge um it's a really good exercise for my team fantastic um Jocelyn, we're coming to the final part here, uh, which we've called fortunate failure. Uh, don't mean to end on a downer, sort of on a more kind of, you know, human uh, uh, level. Um, so looking back at your career, um, uh, think of when you had a, a big mistake or a failure. Perhaps that ended up uh, ultimately uh, becoming the basis, the foundation for future success or uh, positive outcome in the end. Mm-hmm. Um I'm trying to think of a big one, but I cannot because I've made so many mistakes in my career. And um, and maybe I make mistakes every day, but then I think this is a really good um, element to success in the future. I think it's important to know your mistakes and be aware of them and learn from them. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's as cliche as it sounds, but it's really important for industry because I previously mentioned there's no there's no fixed formula to what I do uh, to what we do. There's so many different solutions to the same uh, task or problem that we need to solve. So it's really important to test and try different things and and learn from it. Or are you looking okay. for one huge <laughs> one huge no. mistake? <laughs> no, take one. It's, 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 you know, I, I, I think you know. It's, 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 uh, I think it's a very healthy, healthy approach. I think we've 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 all you know worked you know in or with the with the industry, and we know you know you, you were talking about the ego. So I think it's a, definitely a very healthy, healthy approach to think about the industry. You know, in a way, you know how we can make things better. You know how how we can do things in a different way. And I think your Jackson Pollock approach is you know is a is a is a testament to that too. <laughs> okay, Jocelyn. So, as a final bonus question, we're actually planning to run a, a mini series focused around the central theme of foods, um, and this is where we're going to look at the kind of intersection between food, culture, technology, especially through the lens of Asia. So, we were curious, and, and I know you've, you've actually mentioned restaurants and and food a few times in the, in the interview. So, I suspect there may be a, a a passion of some sort there. But you know, when, when it comes to China or Hong Kong. What do you think would be interesting to explore? You know, are there particular trends or topics around food which um, you, mm-hmm. you find interesting right now? I love this topic. I love it so much more than talking about my career. Sorry, Food is such an intrinsic part of Asian culture, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. And um, a lot of our uh, perspectives and the way we behave is actually highly related to our interaction with food. Um, uh, the dinner table, for example, you know, our the best dinner is never just about what's on the table, but it's what's around it. So it's about the people and how and you know the time we have enjoying the food together. Um, so our culture is really, um, you know, food is a big part of our culture. And then what I would be interested in is um, I recently started to feel very sad because. Um, as a result of COVID, I guess, and maybe, you know, the economy um, turning uh, a little bit less positive, a lot of legacy um, food, I wouldn't say manufacturers, um, but outlets are closing mm-hmm. down um, because 
the really traditional um, um, food formats and way of making things is highly labor intensive. It's in a, you know, it's not the best experience. So young generations do not want to get into it. But then it's such a kind of unique and special art um, um, in these legacy kind of foods. Uh, and it's very sad that they're closing down. I do wonder if technology could help them sustain in a certain way. I don't know if we can 3D print that stuff. Um, but then it'll be, it'll be, it'll be nice to see help you know, find a way to help these guys survive. You know, they all started out of passion. And I think, you know, passion is a great thing. Yeah, it's really interesting because there's been something in Singapore, uh, the Singapore um, Restaurant Rescue Group, where there's been actually a, 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 a sort of researcher uh, friend of ours that we've had on the podcast was was a sort of leading figure in it and just basically, you know, trying to help uh, the hawker, the hawkers, and the traditional, you know, often often owned by um, you know you know elderly owners that are maybe not tech familiar, and trying to help them get on board with the delivery apps, etc. Mm -hmm. and, and I think we were we were also talking about this the other day and how there's almost this tension with the younger generation of you know they 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 sort of want to preserve and maintain that part of culture. There's almost a sort of even a guilt attached to that, but but I feel that. You know, at the same time, the you know uh, how token is that? How how genuine is that effort versus, um, you know, do, you know, do they really sort of understand what what they'd be losing if these uh, if these establishments were to disappear, and, and even the recipes and the dishes that they they um they're they're obviously true to, um, yeah. How how does that figure in somewhere like Hong Kong, or do do you feel there's something similar going on, um, with, in terms of dynamic with the younger generation? I. I think it's it's quite similar. Um, there are talks around preserving these things, um, and you know the whole "I love Hong Kong," um, the whole like I mentioned the Lion Rock spirit. You know all of these all these establishments were formed because of that spirit. You know back in the day, you know just just kind of roll up your sleeves and do it. Um, so there are a lot of talks around it. Um, but again, I think similar to you to what you said about the hoppers. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I'm, I'm not clear on the depth of involvement of the younger generation actually trying to help preserve that kind of um, industry. Um, and I'm not sure about the proportion of it being an authentic, um, uh, an authentic um, um, kind of. Um, something they want to do from the heart mm. versus, um, you know, something that's just kind of talk. It's got talk value. Yeah. Cause you've actually had brands here like Tiger Beer actually trying to, to push that movement, if you like to, to celebrate, you know, the hawker heroes, if you will, cause they, they, they recognize the, the sort of cultural, um, you know, value and passion point, but it's, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that really connects at a, at a deeper level. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, we, we digress, Jocelyn, but really interesting to, to touch and to end on that note. Yeah, I'd love to talk more about food next time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. Well, thanks for stirring the pot with us today. Uh, we've, had a, we've had a great fail. I hope you're feeling uh, well-fed and nourished yourself. <laughs> definitely. Fantastic. Yeah, thanks so much, Jocelyn. Please don't forget to subscribe to the pods, keep the feedback coming, and look out for our next episode related to sports marketing with Professor Simon Chadwick. So in the meantime, keep, keep it, it brewing. brewing.